And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, you out there in Shabbat Shalom and you in here. And I would like to say a special thank you to all of our donors, you out there that have supported this ministry and continue to support us. So let's be blessed as we dig into the word today and we go into Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah, and we are Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 1. And we can turn down the audio in the house here a little. Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. It says thus, Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O nation without discipline. Before the decree comes, before the day pass as the chaff. Before the fierce anger of Yahuwah comes upon you, for the day of Yahuwah's anger comes upon you. Seek Yahuwah, all of you, a meek of the earth, who have done his judgment of Torah. Seek Zadakah, that's the Hebrew word for righteousness. Seek meekness. It may be that you shall be hidden in the day of Yahuwah's anger. Very powerful opening statements here in Zephaniah chapter 2. We can see this is all about the day of Yahuwah's anger coming forth. Yet those that do his judgments, his righteous judgments, you have a promise. You have a promise. You'll be hidden hidden from his anger. Oh, in a day like we live today, how we pray, O Yahuwah, how can we be saved from such universal judgment? There's only one way. There is only one way to be saved from what the prophet here describes is coming. I mean, you can, you can put your head in the sand and you can say, oh, it's not coming. But the prophet is very clear that it's coming down the pike. It's exactly what the apostle Paul, in fact, warned would be coming to the last generation. How can you be saved? How can you be hidden? By reni- renouncing the final sin of pride and humbling oneself before one's creator because it's a day like no other day the prophet joel tells us and the prophets combine all of this final apocalyptic thought into this terrible day of darkness yet there's one glimmer of light in this terrible day of darkness one ray of hope and that is the mercy of Yahuwah our Elohim, a merciful Elohim who desires his people would live rather than die. That's the saving grace. This is really the end time clarion call. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, the first word is what? Gather. Gather yourselves together. This is the prophetic end time clarion call to gather 
all 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, all of you out there that are tuning in, that are listening, that are supporting this ministry, this is about preparing Yahuwah's people, exiled and scattered into the nations, to gather together and prepare for the coming, coming tribulation, but also to prepare for the great day of Yahusha's return. What a day, what an age, what a people. Torah to the tribes' mission is what? It's to be this voice that is crying out in the wilderness immediately preceding Yahusha's return. And the message has to be one in clarity. Gather, gather, gather. That's the message. This is a time to prepare for the restoration of Israel through the proclaiming of the good news. And that good news is Malkizedek in all-encompassing. It's the gathering in and our return to Malkizedek Book of the Covenant Torah. So we are busy here, very busy proclaiming a message of gathering and return and people come and they tune in and they say, oh my goodness, this, I, I've been in church for 30 years. Why haven't I heard this stuff? Because whilst we are trying to gather, 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 we find that religion is busy proclaiming a message of flight and fancy. Flight and fancy. Yahweh wants to guard us from the false doctrines out, that, out there. But he also wants to guard us and hide us from the calamity that is coming. Yet religion, on the other hand, it wants to seduce us with tales of flight and fancy, a pre-tribulation rapture, an evasion of biblical reality and biblical responsibility. Where in their, their mind, in the mind of religious people and the, and the mind of secular humanists today, well, tomorrow, it will be just like today. Isaiah tells us in the 56th chapter, in the 12th verse, Come, let us get wine. Let us guzzle strong drink. Tomorrow will be like today, only even better, says the world, says religion. But look what the prophet says in the second chapter and the fourth verse. For Azar shall be forsaken. An Ashkelon, a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday. An Ekron shall be pulled up and rooted up. Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of Crete. The word of Yahweh is against you also, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. I will even destroy you, and there shall be no inhabitant. You see, if we seek Yahweh and repent, then we will yield three fruits. If we seek Yahweh and repent, we will yield three fruits. The first one, humility. No longer self-sufficient, but you and I should strive to be dependent upon Yahweh for every breath of our life, every breath of our life. Now, Peter echoes Zephaniah's words to the persecuted believers 
from a military outpost in Babylon in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of Yahuwah, so that he may lift you up at the appropriate time. Meaning, you're going to be cast down for a time. You're going to feel overwhelmed and burdened, maybe despondent and feeling like it's all for nothing. But at the appropriate time, when you've gone through the fires, when you've had people trample all over your back and kick dust in your eyes, at that time, when? Then, at the appropriate time, he will lift you up. Cast out all your worries and place them on Yahuwah, for he cares for you. Let's all be honest. There are times when we have been down and we have worried. Where is Yahweh? Does he hear my prayers? What's going on in my life? But he cares for you. Stay alert. You have to stay alert. Even when the dust and the sand is being kicked in your face and you're on your back, you've got to stay alert and you have to continue to watch out. Your adversary, Satan, he prowls around like a roaring lion searching for someone to devour the weak-hearted, the ones that when they're on the ground, they give up the faith. Doesn't mean you're not going to be on the ground. I've spent a lot of time on the ground in dust with a lot of people kicking sand in my face. But I am not going to be one that gives up the faith. So the first thing that we find when we seek Yahuwah, the first fruit is humility. The second fruit is obedience. If we're truly given over to Yahuwah, and we've submitted to Yahuwah, then we give up running our own lives. That's hard, to give up running your own life. And you have to resign yourself over to Yahuwah. You are no longer the ruler of your own private portion. Because if you find that you are a ruler of your own private portion, then you make no room for Yahuwah in your life. But he wants to move in your life through his Ruach. He wants to set our lives apart for an anointing. And that means that we have to resign as ruler ourselves. Because Yahuwah's commandments, his teachings are only available when we make space for them in our lives. And this is what Isaiah says in the 58th chapter and the second verse. Yet they seek me day to day and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did right and had not forsaken their Elohim's commandments. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight the nearness of Yahuwah. So the second fruit that we find in our lives when we've submitted to Yahuwah is obedience. And the third fruit that we find coming into our lives when we submit to Yahuwah and we repent is the fruit of righteousness. Because a people who awaken to the reality that they are the fulfillment of the demands of the priestly realm, then Yahuwah finds that these are the people that his son spoke about in Matthew 22, verse 37. Yahusha spoke these words, Thou shalt love Yahuwah thy Elohim 
with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second unto it is like unto it that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the teachings of Moshe and Zephaniah to live a life of surrender, fidelity, and obedience. Look at these three fruits that come when we repent and we come to the hidden place of Yahuwah. It's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, and Matthew 5. They speak of these characteristics that I've spoken about, humility, obedience, righteousness, these characteristics of our faith, the words that Zephaniah says are coming to that end-time generation, that when they display these fruits, they will find that they are hidden from Yahuwah's anger. Humility hides you from Yahuwah's anger. Obedience hides you from Yahuwah's anger. And righteousness hides you from Yahuwah's anger. 1 Corinthians 25, because what happens? You've given up self-rule for Yahuwah to rule you. That's the power. Giving up self-rule so that Yahuwah can rule over us. He can rule over our pride. He can rule over our sinful claims of self. Because the foolishness of Yahuwah, it's wiser than men. The weakness of Yahuwah, it's stronger than me. It's stronger than you. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But Yahuwah, he hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Has he not? And that's exactly how we all ended up at Torah to the tribes. When sin has reached universal proportions, should we not then expect that judgment on it will likewise be universal? Right? Because people read Zephaniah chapter 2 and they go, how can a loving God do such universal judgment? Because it comes at a time when a people are sinning in such a universal way. It's all-encompassing that there must be then universal judgment to ensue. The question is, do we live in such a time as this? Do we? Well, do we? Matthew 24, verse 39. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What was the sign given that Yahuwah would never destroy the whole world that way? What was it? It was a rainbow. And now the rainbow is misused and abused in the day and age that we live in because we live in the days of Noah to mock with pride cometh before the fall. So I'll ask this question again. What happens when sin has reached such universal proportions 
should we not then expect that judgment on it will be likewise universal? And the words of Zephaniah the prophet become true to that generation. Are we that generation? Well, well, we should truly know whether we are at such a generation, at that point in human history, at that point in human pride and sinfulness that Zephaniah speaks about, when the Episcopalian church interprets the next verse of Matthew 24 as an elucidation of lesbianism. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Bloody outrageous! What devilish, degenerate, depraved Isa Jesus, the, the um, Episcopalian, I can't even say it, Episcopalian church has. That's the Isa Jesus. A whole generation of biblically illiterate church-going liberal snowflakes believe this feculence. Truly, two women grinding at the mill. And that's their Isa Jesus. How did we get to such a time? Pride. The whole generation, biblically illiterate, twisting their words or the words of Scripture to their own destruction. But look what the sixth verse of our prophet says in the second chapter. And the sea coast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed there in the houses of Eshkelon. Shall they lie down in the evening? For Yahuwah their Elohim shall visit them and turn back their captivity. So Yahuwah will reveal key hiding places during the Great Tribulation for his priestly remnant, no matter what sea coast you're on. Even if you're landlocked, he's going to hide you if you have done those three things, how we begun today. You'll be able to lie down at evening and be comforted. Look at verse 8. And I heard the reproach of Moab and the reviling of the children of Ammon, by which they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against the border. Therefore, as I live, says Yahuwah Savot, the Elohim of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even breeding of weeds and salt pits and waste forever. The remnant of my people, they shall plunder them. And the remnant of my people, they shall possess them. So this is talking about a redeemed remnant priesthood will conquer, reign, and rule over all the sons of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, the nations that are actually mentioned here, they're intended to symbolize all the known world. Philistia to the west, Moab and Ammon to the east, Ethiopia to the south, and Assyria to the north. Now, the north, of course, is the most sinister region. 
You see destruction always coming from the north upon the nation of Israel. For out of the north will come the anti-Messiah. For where did Lucifer in fact say that he would sit? Upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. So you can see that this anti-Messiah figure is always told through the prophets to be coming down from the north. Jeremiah 1.14, it is written, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. It's interesting today, in the day and age we live, when we look at that territory just north of the land of Israel, we have nations currently gathering around the Crimea, seeking to control the gas and oil fields of Europe. The key to the European Union's very survival is all around these gas and oil fields. And you think the prices of petrol in America is expensive. Go to Europe. Of course, they're heavily restricted by this whole territory north of Israel, whether it be electricity or gasoline. Whilst to the east, we see we have the nation of the Saudi Arabians or the Saudis, and they are actively trying to sway the equilibrium in their direction never with so much power and clout over our policies here in America, which directly affects the nation's borders, whether it be to the north, the east, the south, or the west. We're actually in bed with the Saudis when they do abominable things, but we never speak up about it. Even the liberal snowflakes will never condemn the Saudis. Why? Because of this very thing that I'm talking about. But whilst Lucifer and his minions plan an evil from the north, Yahweh has other plans. And Jeremiah 31 verse 8 speaks of a new covenant people, a new covenant people of Yahweh. And it says, Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. So you can see whether it's um, Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 1 or Jeremiah 31 verse 8, Yahweh has a different plan. His, his, unlike Satan's, isn't restricted to the north. His is a plan that is universal in gathering remnant people from the north, from the east, from the south, from the west, wherever they were scattered. Torah to the tribes, a gathering in of those tribes in these end days is what we're talking about here at the ministry. Now the Gospels, of course, confirm this message. Look at Luke 13, verse 29. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of Yahweh. Sitting down at peace, at rest, not in fear of flight, not in fear of trouble any longer. Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 10, it is written, This shall they have in return for their pride. So in these end days, you're going to see an escalation in the pride of man.
an escalation in pride because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of Yahuwah Sivot. Yahuwah will be a fright to them, for he will destroy all the kings of the earth, and men shall worship him, every one from his place, even all the isles of the sea. Verse 12, yes, Ethiopians also, you too shall be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Ashur. Will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like the wilderness. And flocks shall lie down in the midst of her, all the beasts of the nations. Both the pelican and the owls shall lodge in the upper tops of her columns. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be in her gates. For he shall uncover the cedar foundations and lay them bare. You see, now, as we come to verse 15, we get a phrase that should make your and my blood run cold. Nineveh, right here. This is just the, just the pride, the pride of it. Nineveh attributes the glory of Yahuwah to herself. And she said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Isaiah the prophet is clear to whom the glory and it's not Isaiah 45 verse 5 it is written I am Yahweh and there is none else there is no Elohim beside me I girded thee though thou hast not known me I am Yahweh and there is none else no Elohim beside me a just Elohim and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and then you'll be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am Elohim, and there is none else. So we live in a time when people are looking to the gods of the world, looking to the gods of the nations, looking to their own pride and strength to deliver them, whether it be technology, whether it be politics, whether it be your own rulership. But Yahweh says that we're to look unto him. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> this is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. How is she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in? Everyone that passes by her shall whistle and shake his head. You see, Yahuwah, Yahuwah cannot let such a claim go unchallenged. And when Nineveh made this claim, it was her very demise. He just simply cannot let this kind of claim go unchallenged. Now, the question that I have, that you may have. Is, is Nineveh's challenge one that we hear echoed in the corridors of power and supremacy today? Is it? Do we hear those challenges echoed 
in D.C. and in other ruling nations. You see, the boast of Nineveh is the boast of those that wield power and have no knowledge of the Creator. Hitler boasted in a 1,000-year Reich. What happened to him? Many were sure in my home country that England and its colonies would always rule from sea to shining sea. But we became bankrupt and indebted after we got into yet another world war. And Great Britain is now no longer great. It's been taken over, infiltrated, and it is at its very knees. Europe is buckling. Ethiopia, Haile Selassie, of course, of Ethiopian, Ethiopian infamy. He actually named himself, think of the pride of this, he named himself King of Kings, Elect of God, Lion of Judah, His Most Puissant Majesty. That's what he named himself. What happened to him? Of course, many American has laid claim to USA, the greatest nation on earth, because after all, 50 years ago today, we went through the Van Allen radiation belts and put a man on the moon when we couldn't even figure out how to communicate to the astronauts, of course, in the Apollo 1 capsule that burnt to smoke in 67. All the while, we see the state of Israel which is a synagogue of Satan contrivance in Basel, Switzerland. It masquerades as the real Israel of the Bible, defrauding the nations out of billions. For out of thy sorceries were all nations deceived and defrauded. Revelation 18, verse 23. So, Nineveh, where she said that she was the great one and boasted in her heart that I am and there is none beside me. We can see all of these past world powers and leaders have done the very same thing. We are at that point where Zephaniah warns us of this impending judgment because when sin has become so universal from the corridors of power, then the judgment must likewise also be universal. Are these godless socialists that try to sway the tide today in their heathen direction, are they any different than Nineveh? Than Nineveh? No. It's the same spirit. Godlessness, pride, and the seeking one's own personal power. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, it is written, For the day of Yahuwah Savar of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low, and Yahuwah alone, he alone is the one that shall be exalted in that day. That's a day that believers long for, is it not? But you see, today, 
Many people have risen up in pride in these corridors of power, but they forgot one thing, did they not? We saw that in the last election. They forgot the heartland. Yes, the East Coast and here on the West Coast, we may have fallen to the sway of socialism and to the call of the mother of harlots and the abominations of the USA, but they forgot the heartland. They forgot flyover country, or as Hillary Clinton says, they forgot the deplorables, where there's still a people whose vision can be turned back to their creator. It's a people like you, a people like me, that the prophet pro proclaims his message today. The people that will look to the word for Yahuwah's direction. What will 2020 have in store for us? It's just around the corner. Will it be like Nineveh or Zion? Will it be like heaven or hell? Will it be Trump or will it be a travesty at the hands of mystery Babylon, the mother of all whores? We're truly living in gripping times, gripping times with the polarity just growing each and every day. And by the way, I'm not a Republican. Okay? I'm a libertarian. I'm an independent. But when push comes to shove, capitalism or socialism, I'll always choose capitalism because the soul of the socialist sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent capitalist is richly supplied. I think that's a proverb, like in the teens somewhere, right? It's a bit of a paraphrase, but you get what I'm saying. It's all about the polarization of politics these next 18 months, the polarization of peoples, and the polarization of the words of the prophets. We need to listen to the message of the prophets, usually, in closing, because this is a short chapter, usually throughout the prophets, we see the nations streaming to Jerusalem to actually join with Israel. But we don't see that this time. It's very different. Not in this day and not in this age. No, we find here a remnant Israel moves out to the nations and they form in their own lands the people of Yahuwah. Exiled, scattered, but gathered together in exile those that have acknowledged Yahuwah's sovereignty by their humble, obedient, righteous seeking of their true ruler, the sovereign Yahuwah Elohim. It's really about the scattered remnant that are awakened. You out there, the scattered remnant that are awakened. And that is what the prophet's message is about in this second chapter. So it's a short today, but we've covered the chapter, and it's really about Yahweh saying to his people to awake and bear forth the fruits of righteousness so that you can be brought in and hidden from Yahuwah's anger. Because all the while, those out there 
that choose to be their own governor, choose to rule their own lives, will be at sway to Yahweh's judgment, and they will not be hidden from his anger. It's powerful when you meditate on this chapter in light of the division in the world today. You can see this escalation of pride infiltrating throughout the corridors of power, yet there is a meekness and a humbleness in the people of Yahuwah that are seeing the very things of his prophecies come forward. Do we have any questions or comments today? <clears throat> we have a question. What does my T-shirt mean? What is my... What? We had a question about my T-shirt last week. NASA, it's the 50th anniversary. What do you mean, what does my T-shirt mean? NASA, never a straight answer, right? Or another way of looking at it but would be the National Academy of Space Actors. What do I mean? Well, you never do get a straight answer, do you? You never do. You do realize, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, 57% of Russians don't believe we even went to the moon 50 years ago. Now, it may be a matter of national pride, right? It's pretty obvious why the Russians wouldn't want to believe because of their national pride. But 50 years ago, this was a big space age race, wasn't it? They were seriously concerned for the survival of humanity, that if the Russians got to the moon, that they were going to have a base there that would launch weapons of mass destruction upon America. So there was this big push 50 years ago. But think about it. You can understand why 57% of Russians don't believe we went to the moon. And there's a growing number worldwide that have their doubts. But why? Why would you doubt such a thing? Because you never get a straight answer. NASA, what do I mean? Because think about it. In 1969, we went a thousand times further than what we can go today. With 50-year-older technology, and we made it on the very first try. Interesting. I mean, my phone right here. Okay, this is the iPhone Max, not to advertise iPhone, right? 1969. I have more computing power in my iPhone Max than the whole of NASA had for the whole space project. They had one millionth the computing power in all of NASA in 1969 than what is in my iPhone today. Yeah, the Russians are saying, well, we're not so sure about that. 
and one millionth of the computing power and we sent a manned spacecraft to the moon? Sadly, and it is very sad, we didn't even have the technology back in 1967 to consistently communicate with tr from transmission control to the three astronauts in the pod that they asked for a telephone before they all got incinerated. We couldn't even communicate consistently through radios. Never a straight answer to the 90 degree intersecting shadows. We all know that shadows from one light source run what? Parallel. If you have one light source, the sun, shadows will always run parallel. We never get a straight answer on the 90 degree intersecting shadows on photographs. This is what causes the Russians to have their doubts. There's never a straight answer to the Van Allen radiation belts. There's never a straight answer to the fluttering flag when there's no atmosphere. So 57% of the Russians don't believe that we went to the moon. There's never a straight answer, NASA, to the sea rock. Now, if I can keep hair out of my tuna sandwich, then we should fully expect that NASA could keep a piece of hair out of the most important photographic negative ever to be brought back to Earth. There's never a straight answer on Moon Rock C. There's never a straight answer to the 10,000 pounds of thrust force that should have left a burn crater on the moon. These are things that make the Russians disbelieve. 57% of them. There's never a straight answer, NASA, to the lack of stars in the photography that we see. There's never a straight answer to the layered crosshairs that were on all of the astronauts' chest-mounted cameras that the layered crosshairs appear behind objects which is a physical impossibility unless the photographs had been tampered with and edited. There's never a straight answer to the hanging object that was reflected in the astronaut's visor. The Russians are having troubles believing that we went to the moon. 57% of them. There is never a straight answer to the jump wire and the decreased 2.5 speed of the astronauts running. Because if you speed it up 
at 2.5, the Russians say it looks like they're running on a soundstage. And you can see the jump wire. Never a straight answer. There's never a straight answer to the duplicate lunar backdrops that were supposedly shot from locations two miles apart. Yet when they're layered on top of one another by the Russians, they're from the same spot. Never a straight answer. And there's never a straight answer to the Stanley Kubrick angle. And I don't know. Has your government ever lied to you? Gulf of Tonkin, Operation Mockingbird, government deception? 57% of Russians don't believe that we ever went to the moon. And a growing number of Americans are starting to wonder why. So what does my t-shirt mean? Never a straight answer. But to the Russians, it really means the National Academy of Space Actors. Question. <laughs> okay. Is the land of Ethiopia, Sudan, and Somalia included? Mm, it's the land of Ethiopia, Somalia, and Sudan included in what? We don't know. We don't have that, that included here in the question. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next one. Does Matthew follow Q? Does Matthew follow Q? I know a man who does. He drives around in a big Q van. So, yes, I've got my ear to the Q board. Okay, next question. Does Matthew feel the grand solar minimum which is upon us is connected to end times? Oh, I'd like to know more about that. Put that down in the comments section. I've heard a little about that, but I haven't really dug much deeper than just listening to people's conversations. That's fascinating. Any other questions? That's it. That's it? Oh, well, that, I got off light, didn't I? Praise Yahweh. Remember, out there, subscribe to our channel. We really need your support with Google and YouTube trying to shut conservatives down. We need your support, and your subscription to our channel helps us get people like you tuning in. And remember, you can always hit the notification bell. If you hit the notification bell when we go live or we upload a video, you'll get a notification. And if you like this teaching, give us a thumbs up. Give us a thumbs up. And if you don't like it, well, give us a thumbs down. We want to hear. And you can even make a comment because we've opened up the comments just for now. I think I got hammered with over 700 comments last week, and not many of them were nice. So, you know, give me a little bit of encouragement. Give us some thumbs up. But if you don't want to, you can give us some thumbs down. <laughs>
It's okay. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, we thank everybody for your support, and we look forward to seeing you next Shabbat live here on the Torah to the Tribes channel. Amen. Amen.